bless you and we thank God for you. Come on, let's pray with me and let's get into this lesson tonight. I know God has a word for us. Father, we just bless you tonight. We thank you for your presence and for your spirit and for your anointing. And we ask even now, Lord, that you give grace to us even as we serve you in this sacred space. God, everyone that's under the sound of my voice and those who will hear it later, impart unto them divine truth and wisdom. And Lord, those families that are going through at this current moment, suffering, God, from loss of life and loss of loved ones and friends and those who are sick and ailing, even in the midst of this pandemic with COVID-19, we pray for them even now. And we ask for you to be with us even as we seek to serve you. God bless you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for it even now. Amen. Amen. Bless you, saints. Let me pick up where we've been talking uh, in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. The book of Genesis, chapter 16. That's the entire chapter there. And I want to try and finish a thought that I had last week with you. Uh, on this text, and we're moving to another text on next week, so uh, hang around. We've been talking from this theme, living faith in stressful times, and this is part four. Living faith in stressful times, and this is part four. From Genesis chapter 16, verses one through, let's just do one through four for now. Now Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, to the, Egypt, the Egyptian and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her, uh, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Ah, what an what a interesting word. You know, we recognize in this text that Sarah is, is overwhelmed by the fact that she has not been able to cause Abram to have children. And she takes it in her own hands to see to it that there will be life unto Abram and that the purpose and plan of God will be carried out. She has no reason to do this because God has made a promise. But she's stressing the fulfillment of the promise so she seeks to fulfill the promise her own way. She goes and she tries to make something happen and thus the stress and strain of waiting on something to happen causes her to make a bad decision. And as we've studied, stress can be caused by making bad decisions. It's a twist on what I said earlier, that stress on her made her make it, but stress can be caused 
by making bad decisions. In this case, what I mean is further stress. She was already stressed about what happened, and now she is further stressed and enters into a complicated, stressful situation because of the bad decision she makes in turning her husband over to her handmaid. Now, now with all the euphemistic language in here, you can easily forget the fact that what has taken place is that Abram goes in and has relations with Hagar. It's euphemistic almost to say that she gave him to be his wife. That just simply means that she allowed him to be intimate with her. She was not wife as in, as in replacing Sarah. No, she was wife as in a bed wench. She was there at the disposal of Abram for his intimacy with her to procreate. And I ought to tell you this, bad decisions don't ameliorate stress, they create new avenues of stress. Bad decisions, the word ameliorate means take it away, make it better. They don't ameliorate stress. They create new avenues of stress. As if the situation wasn't bad enough, now as a result of making the bad decision, she has now created future stress. Stress that she could not even thought of. Future stress upon her. Future issues, issues she did not have before, now she has. Future pain, future sadness, future difficulties. Let me tell you something. You have to realize that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, and that's not just simply some theory of relativity. It is life. There are consequences to our actions. Sarah's bad decision resulted in personal emotional trauma. Sarai's bad decision resulted in personal emotional trauma. In other words, her life became dramatically worse as a result of what she did to fix what she saw as a problem. Her life became worse as a result of her plan of action. You know, let me just say this real quick. You need to realize that some decisions you make, instead of having the effect you want, can actually backfire and make things worse. You think you have it bad now, make that dumb decision and it will become worse. You've gotta be careful how you make your decisions. And Sarah first experiences something that she had not experienced from Hagar before. And, and, and I use this word revilement, revilement. And that word is to criticize in a, an abusive or insulting manner, revilement. Now, Hagar doesn't say anything to her, but she gives her what we call in the street, the stink eye. She gives her the stink eye. She looks at her like, you know, really? I got one up on you. I've been with your man. He may be your man, but he mine too. She gives him the eye that, that her the eye that lets her know I done done something you didn't want me to do. Look at look at verse four in the amplified version of the Bible. 
He went into the bed of Hagar. They just break it on down. Of Hagar. And she conceived. And when she realized that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And then they give you the, the words in bracket to explain what that means. Regarding Sarai as insignificant because of her infertility. Now, if she had been feeling bad before not having children, imagine how she feels now that this woman who she has given to her husband has conceived and is now looking at her, again, y'all excuse me, with the stank eye. You imagine she's, she's receiving this revilement from her. Now, I don't know how bad that was because she, Hagar was a slave. Hagar was in the house. She was working in the house. She, she didn't have but so much uh, power, if any power at all. She, she probably had more of that feeling on the inside, Sarah meaning, she probably had more of the feeling on the inside that, that she was being looked at contempt than even Hagar was giving off. But because you're wounded, because you're hurt, because this woman has conceived and you couldn't, now you feel bad and any gesture or movement, any way she turns automatically makes it feel as though she must be looking at me. I know you're looking at me. I know you're thinking about me. I know you think you have one up on me. And then watch what happens. Here's where the personal trauma comes in. The first thing Sarah experiences after the revilement is regret. Regret. That's to be sorry for. Sad. Disappointment. <sighs> you know, all of us have been at that place where a decision we have made causes us regret. I, I wish I hadn't done that before. Uh, a young man won American Idol and they did a song called Sorry for 2004. I'm sorry for May, for June, July, August, September, October. No, yeah, sorry. And this is my sorry for. And, and then he closed out saying, I ain't going to mess up no more this year. Now, now you have to realize this, the idea of regret comes in with her because she realizes that she has given her husband to another woman and this woman has conceived and now the mistake is done and she feels bad about it. Let's see the text. Verse 5 says it this way. Again, the Amplified Version just for the expansion of the words. Then Sarah said to Abram, may the responsibility for the wrong done to me by the arrogant behavior of Hagar be upon you. Now that, 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 that's wild in that I know you feel some type of way, but how is it Abram's fault that your plan has backfired? And it may be that she thinks that Abraham should have done something to keep, uh, keep Hagar in her place. And Abram just looks at her kind of, you know, what, what in the world going on? She said, I gave my maid into your arms and when she realized she had conceived, I was despised and looked on with disrespect. May the Lord judge who has done right between you and me. Now this is, th that regret is so great in her that she can't stand it. 
She just, I wish I hadn't done this, and it's your fault. You know, it's easy for us when we've made mistakes in life to blame somebody else. Own your stuff. Hey, I did it. This, this is something that didn't work out the way I hoped it would. But not only did she experience regret, and some of you who are listening to me now, you've got things that you regret in your life. You don't have to stay in them. Yeah, you can, you can experience it, you can feel it, you can say, okay, and now you move forward with it. You recognize, learn the lesson from it, and go to the next stage. Don't live in regret. Don't wallow in it. Don't wallow it. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it steal your life and your joy because it will make you bitter. And as a bitter person, you become dangerous. You're dangerous to everyone around you when you function in bitterness. But not only did she have regret, she had resentment. And that's the word for bitterness and indignation. Resentment. And you can see that couple looking from side to side. Oh, Lord. Resentment. She is experiencing that bitterness on the inside, and that, that bitterness is just overwhelming her. It's, it's taking control of her. It's ruining her time. It's ruining her life. Let's be clear. Unfortunately, of all her bad decisions, brought out the worst in her, the spirit of revenge. Unfortunately, all of her bad decisions brought out the worst in her, the spirit of revenge. Yeah, you, you hurt me, but since you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. you. You dog me, I'm going to dog you. you. You diss me, I'm going to diss you. You diss me this way, I'm going to diss you ten times worse. You got me, I'm going to get you because it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and I got the biggest bite. I got the biggest bark and the biggest bite because I'm still queen over this here castle. I'm going to get you. Resentment and bitterness lead to acts of retaliation. Notice, if you look at verse 6, the bottom of verse 6, and I'm going to use verse 6 in a moment again, Abram cops out in the top part, said, it's your handmaid, do what you want to do, she's in your hands. But the, the bottom of the end of that verse says, so Sarah treated her harshly and humiliated her. She treated her harshly and she humiliated her. So much so, that Hagar fled from her. You know, you, you, when, when someone is experiencing these kind of emotional pain, retaliation gets in them, it's a dangerous thing. It's, it's a bad situation. Hurt, abused, messed up, stop thinking well. You know, one of the most interesting Hall of Fame induction speeches I ever heard was given by Curtis Martin, former New England Patriot, former Jet running back. And Curtis Martin, who was a believer, gave a speech. And in that speech, he told the story about his mother and his father. And his father was horrifically abusive. I mean, horrifically abusive. He tells the story of how his father would run hot water in the tub till it ran over his mother's legs, scalding water, 
And if she flinched, he ran in there and he would chop off pieces of her hair. He told the story that uh, that same hot water running, he would come in, if she flinched, he would take and take his cigarette and burn holes into her skin. The mark of which, even by the time he gets to be a Hall of Famer and a grown man, I think he's 37 when he receives his Hall of Fame thing, so it, it's probably now over 30-something years, and he looks at his mother and the Hall of Fame speech, and he says, the marks of which she still bears today. The scars from cigarette burns. And then he begins to turn the conversation to say, I knew that she needed to take out all of that hurt on someone. And my mother was hard on me. She took it out on me. But I realized I heard it somewhere. And here's what he says. Hurt people hurt people. Oh, Lord. It's so true. If you find yourself hurting other people and being told you're, you, you know, that hurt me, that, that, that didn't feel good, that, 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 that was bad, and you don't understand that you did it, and you say to yourself, I don't know, I, I didn't intend to hurt anybody. You might need to go back and do some soul searching. Maybe you can do some therapy where you can rediscover the pain that you may be feeling that you feel like you have to inflict it. You have to share it. You have to push it out on someone else. Hurt people hurt people. Now, when I read this text, I read the text of one hurt woman stressed out because she couldn't have a child, stressed out because she thought she was supposed to bear the promise, stressed out because she didn't know anything else to do but what she did. And when she did what she thought was the right thing, it didn't work and she ended up paying an emotional price for it. I look at this woman as a hurt woman, but then I looked at her hurting another woman. And I look at it and I say to myself, where is God? What is God doing in this text? And then I remind myself of something. God does not always interfere in our decisions. Oh boy, I wish he would. But he doesn't always interfere in our decisions. Sarah made her decision. Sarah puts her through this. And God does not interfere. God does not in any way get involved. God does not interfere in that decision. God does not stop her from humiliating and hurting and persecuting poor Hagar. That's tough. God, where are you at? Are you watching? Do you see? And I'm reminded of this. God is not aloof. He's not absent. He's not uncaring. He's not, he's not somewhere uninvolved. The Lord, where are you at? 
where you at in this text? Because these verses show one woman hurting another woman and the hurt woman is hurt and her hurt is legitimate and the woman she hurts is hurt and her hurt is legitimate. I learned something in this text that you need to hold on to. God cares about the hurt of the helpless. Now that's good news right there. God cares about the hurt of the helpless. God cares about those that are going through. God cares about the hurt of those that can't change their situation. Now, I realize this, and it still has me baffled. God, why didn't you get involved? Why didn't you stop Sarai from sending Hagar in there? Why didn't you stop Sarai from being so brutal and mean to, to Hagar? Why, why didn't you? And another thought pops in my mind. God does intervene. When our decisions hurt others in order to help them handle that which has been imposed upon them. God does intervene. When our decisions hurt others in order to help them handle that which has been imposed upon them. In other words, in the words of James Cone, God is on the side of the oppressed. God is always on the side of the oppressed. And since those decisions made by Sarah puts this woman in a bad situation, God intervenes. Hagar experiences direct divine presence in her most vulnerable state. She experiences direct divine presence in her most vulnerable state. She, something happens, God, God shows up. God shows up, thank you God for showing up. You know, if I were to look at the text closely, verse seven says, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. The angel of the Lord finds her uh, by the spring. God shows up when she is most vulnerable, when she is wearied by life. She has what is called a theophany a visible manifestation to humankind of God. She has a theophany, a visible manifestation to humankind of God. The angel of the Lord shows up and stands with her. Now, now that word theophany, that word theophany is so important here because theophany from the Greek is theophanesia, and it means appearance of God. Theophanesia, it means appearance of God. And, and, and what, what the text is trying to tell us is that, that God knows how to show up. Just when we need him the most, God knows how to show up. 
When life has pushed us to the brink, God knows how to show up. When we feel like we can't go another further, that's Southern talk, but they're saying, when I feel like I can't go another step, God shows up. You see, the silence of God, and that's what it really is, in verses one through six, must be contrasted with the visitation of the divine. The silence of God in verses one through six must be contrasted with the visitation that begins at verse seven. God has been silent. Sarai has talked. Abram has talked. Hey, God hasn't said a word. And God has been silent. Sarai talks. Abram talks. Hagar has been abused and God has been silent. Sarai talks. Abram talks. Sarai has been, has been there pushing a new agenda upon Abram and Hagar doesn't say a word but she is humiliated and persecuted. And God is silent. But I want you to get something clear. Because see, sometimes you've made decisions in your life and God didn't say anything, God didn't do anything, nothing happened, no, no, no immediate repercussions to you at all. You did what you wanted to do because you were big and bad enough to do it. Yeah, but, but understand something. Divine silence is not a sign of approval. Divine silence is not a sign of approval. Yeah, God may be silent, because God allows us to have our own free will and our own free choices, but it doesn't mean God approves of what we're doing. Just, just because God has not struck you dead, just because God has not punished you or openly rebuked you or harmed you or hurt you or did anything or let anything untoward happen to you does not mean God approves what you did or what you're doing. Silence is not a sign of approval. Hagar stressed by the persecution of Sarai. Her trauma caused her to make a bad decision. Her trauma caused her to make a bad decision. Oh yeah, it, it was in the end of verse six. She fled. She ran. She fled. I, I don't have time to quite deal with it all. It, it comes up later on and I'm not going to do, use those during this series, so I'll at least allude to it. She flees. She leaves. But because she is still the property and she is still the in, in indentured servitude to Abram, technically she still belongs to his household. So even the way she has left, she can't leave because he can actually pull her back in at any time. He could actually say that you've harmed me. You've done me wrong. You're carrying my seed. Get over here. It's interesting. She makes a bad decision. She leaves. But what happens next is the highlight of the text. Verse 7 is the keystone of power. Because in verse 7, 
suddenly, after God has been silent for the first six verses, God intervenes. And the question we deal with tonight is, why? Suddenly, God intervenes. The question we deal with tonight is why? Why does God intervene now? Why does God get involved now? Why is God active in this moment? Why now? And I believe I've got some things to offer. First of which is this. It is that Sarah has all the power as mistress of the house. Abram has all the power as the head of the household. Hagar has no power. And God intervenes because of this, the lack of agency. And agency is a word that represents the ability to do an action that produces a particular event. All of the agency, the ability to produce an action or to have an action that produces a particular event, all of the agency is in the hands of Sarah and Abram. Hagar has no agency. Verse 2 is clear. Take my handmaid. It's clear that it says, and Abram listened to her and he did what she said. He goes into her. She conceives. You need to know something. This is, this is something you need to understand. She runs away because she has no power in the situation. And, and, and lest you think, and I'm going to throw this in as a bonus point right here. Lest you think that people without agency can be held to the same standard as those who have agency, you're wrong. Because where there is no agency, there is, can be no sin. I wish somebody typed that in the chat right now. Where there is no agency, there can be no sin. In other words, if I don't have the power to produce a particular action, I cannot sin. That's why you have to help people to understand. People who have been abused by other persons, people who have been mistreated, survivors who have gone through things, they need to recognize they've done nothing wrong. There's no sin upon them. The sin is upon the perpetrator and not upon you. Where there's no agency, there is no sin. Anything you're forced to do, compelled to do, must do. Where there's no agency, there can be no sin. If you can't stop it. You can't call that sin. There's something else in the text that is awesome and powerful. Hagar has been dealt an injustice. And God doesn't like injustice. And he's got a way of putting his finger on the scale. God doesn't like injustice. And he's got a way of putting his finger on the scale to make it right. He's got a way of putting his finger on the scale to make it right. So there's a lack of agency. That, that's why God gets in, in involved. 
But, but the, underneath that is God gets involved and intervenes this time because of the lack of action. The lack of action. If you read closely, Sarah goes to Abram and she tells him what is going on. And Abram looks at her in verse 6 and he says clearly, that's your maid. It's entirely in your hands and subject to your authority. Do with her what you please. Sarah accuses Abraham of, of a lack of action and he actually functions in a lack of action, neither protecting neither woman that he has been close and intimate with. He doesn't protect his wife from her mistake, nor does he protect this woman that he has slept with and conceived with from what Sarah is about to do. There is a lack of action. Nothing, no one, no one takes up her cause. No one stands up for her. No one says, I call bull, bull on this. This ain't cool. This ain't right. This is horrible. No one says anything. So God says, I must intervene. But then, but then there's one more piece here. I hope you're getting this tonight. I, this is some kind of lesson. There is the lack of alternatives. The lack of of alternatives. This is important. Don't expect invisible support when physical aid is available. Don't, don't expect the, the angelic support of, of an angel and a theophany when there's physical aid available. In this particular situation, there's no other way to help this woman. There's nobody around. There's no prophet that God can call out. There's no missionary. There's no leader. There's no teacher. There's nobody that he will listen to. And in this situation, God has to send one of his angels on assignment, a messenger from God to become a visible manifestation in the earth realm so that God can inject himself and intervene in this lady's behalf. God gets involved. The angel, verse 7 says, of the Lord founder. And that word founder is, is, is to remind us, he came up to her. And he came there by the spring. And the angel of the Lord began to talk to her. She was on her way to Egypt, on her way back home, and the angel came upon her there in the wilderness, on the road. The angel of the Lord came there to her. God, there's no other alternatives. And if God has to, oh, I'm preaching tonight. If God has to, God will send an angel. But if God has an alternative, if God has a teacher, if God has a preacher, if God has a missionary, if God has a deacon, if God has a deaconess, if God has a saint of God, if God has a child of God nearby, he will make us angels for other people so that in their work weakest hour and their darkest experience, somebody will be there to meet them on the road of their tragedy and help them stand back up and get back in the fight. What an important word. The angel shows up because there's a lack of alternatives. There's nobody else. 
And I want to I wanna bless someone tonight. You know, some of you have experienced God in bold ways. And you may say, I, I've never experienced that before, and, I, and I, I don't know if I'll experience it again. You probably will not. And then let me just help you right here. You have to know that God gives us experiences we need in the time we need them. God has people to show up in our lives, and God's own presence will be there with us at the time we need it. God shows up. Now, I want to close this lesson out with three things that happens as a result of the angels showing up. Here's what happens, and then I'm done for the day. First thing, God gives her three things. Number one, God gives her a plan. God gives her a plan. The angel says to her, return, go back. You're with child, you can't make it on the journey, go on back, it's not time to leave yet. Yep, go ahead, be submitted, it's gonna be all right. I almost think that the angel was saying, look, if I have to, I'll straighten that woman out for you, but don't worry, go on back. It's not time to run yet. It'll be time to leave, but when you leave next time, I'll make sure you leave with something in your hand, and I'll make sure you leave so they know you're gone, so that they have no right over you ever again. Then keep reading the word, you'll get what I'm going. God gives her a plan, go back. But then, number two, God gives her purpose. And this is important. Verse 10 says, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. Wait a minute. Isn't that the same? I'm going to make a purpose that Sarai's womb was to be used for is going to be invested in your womb. Sarai was to have Multiple nations come out of her womb. Sarah was to have great and exceeding descendants come out of her womb. So, so I'm going to do that in you. Since you have, have conceived from this man of God, I'm going to bless your womb. And I want you to know that your descendants, not only is the child going to survive, but your descendants are going to be great. They're going to be exceeding number. They're going to be a whole heap of them. They're going to be a whole lot of them. They're coming out. They're coming out. They're coming out. Not only does God give her a purpose and a plan, but then God gives her a promise. Verses 11 through 16 offer the promise because the 11 through 16 gives us this whole thing here. And it says, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then shall the call to the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Let me, let me say this again. If you go back and study the Quran, you will find in the Quran great homage paid to Hagar. Because within the Holy Quran, there are 
familiar not only with the story, but they're familiar with the story of her as being the progenitor, the one ahead, the matriarch of all of Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. So that the Prophet Muhammad comes from her. It comes from her. You need to let that sink in for a minute. So that what Sarai had done was not only did she send her husband in, but she also helped to create a great nation. I'm gonna close now, I'm gonna close, I'm gonna close, I'm gonna close. And I wanna offer you these things to bless your soul. And I'm done with this. I'm not gonna bother coming back. This is, this is it for this text. I'm moving on to the next subject matter for these series of, of lessons here. And these lessons on living faith in stressful times. I wanna give you three things that I know that God does. And they're in the text. They're in this text. And get this, God meets us at the place of our exhaustion. So for those of you who are feeling exhausted, stressed out, God meets us at the place of our exhaustion. I don't, I don't make any claims that you're gonna have some theophany. I'm not claiming that the angel is gonna show up at your door and all of a sudden that you're gonna see God move in a miraculous, no. But I do believe that God will put angels in your life angels with skin on, with love in their hearts, to stand with you at the place of your exhaustion. The angel went to where she was and stood where she was at, in the place where she had given up, in the place where she was feeling exhausted, in the place where she was feeling like she couldn't make it. The angel showed up in that place. God meets us at the place of our exhaustion. This is good news. Here's more good news. God's merciful presence is our energy. God's merciful presence is our energy. Yeah. Verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the one, the God who sees. For she said, have I also been seen, him who sees me? Therefore she was, the well was called there, Ber Lahiyah Roar. Observe it, it's between Kadesh and Ber. She said, look, God, you see me. And, and now since I know I've been seen by God, it's like I got a new step. I got a new run in my feet, a new clap in my hands. I can make it, God, you see me. No, notice now, nothing has changed in her situation back home, but God, you see me. And since you see me, I know it's gonna be all right. I don't know how it's gonna be all right, but I know it's gonna be all right. So God, God, you see me, the God who sees me. God, thank you for seeing me and somebody needs to know tonight God sees you. God sees you and just knowing God sees you ought to give you energy, ought to give you new zeal and a new zest for life. God sees you. God sees you in your pain. He sees you in your hurt. He sees what you're going through. God sees you. But then the last, this is my last line. God's ministry 
and that's the words from the angels, provides our escape. And I want you to get this, mentally before physically. Mentally before physically. She is mentally changed. Her mindset is renewed before she gets her physical deliverance from the house of Abram. She is mentally renewed. God, I needed this moment. I needed something to pick me up. I couldn't make it anymore the way I was going. And now she is mentally refreshed. Her mindset is completely changed because of the experience that she has with God in that moment. She's mentally changed before physically. And I want to help somebody tonight. God is about to bless you so that your mind is refreshed, renewed, and reinvigorated even before your situation has changed. You'll have a new attitude. Come here, Patty LaBelle. You'll have a new attitude. And with a new attitude, you'll be able to go back and handle what you have to handle and recognize that God will see you through because there happens to be a plan in place. There happens to be a purpose for everything you're dealing with and a promise that God's going to keep and God will keep God's promises. He promised that he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He'll keep that promise. He promised that he would bless you and he'll keep that promise. He promised that he'd keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him and he'll keep that promise. You need to know even though we are living in stressful times, we can live faithful because the God we serve keeps his promises. Hallelujah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I love you all, saints. I'm so glad you joined me tonight. I'm so glad you were here in this Bible study tonight. We had an early glitch, but thank God we made it through. We're so grateful to our AV ministry that just keeps pulling it together, and we're excited about what God is doing. I'm excited that you were here as a part of this teaching, and I love you all with the love of the Lord. I want you don't forget to be a blessing. Anything you give tonight is for the benevolent offering. It goes to people outside of us. There are three ways to give. Give Lefi. Cash app, or you can mail it in. I don't even need to say it because you already know it. I just ask if you could uh, cash app or give Levi five dollars. Just send something in and mark on it benevolent or mark on it diaconate, and they will get that those resources into the diaconate fund so we can bless other people. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we close for this evening. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your anointing and your spirit and your presence. Continue to be with us and allow us to be all that you desire us to be. And now, God, let our faith be renewed and increase that we may live our faith even in stressful times and that, God, we can do better because we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been another one for Jesus. Go in peace, and the peace of God go with you. Shalom.